Um, you know how in Teen Titans they had Dr. Light, you know, it was the original Dr. Light, the villain that was the guy with the beard? Yeah. Well, in the Justice League Unlimited, you know, around the time the Teen Titans are still running, Justice League Unlimited, they decided to do an episode where they, they gave as a supporting role, they gave the their version of Dr. Light, the second Dr. Light, the, the Japanese uh, woman, uh, a role where she had a ton of speaking lines for just a cameo. A whole lot of speaking lines for just a cameo. So I know exactly why Bruce Tim did that. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to make her speak a lot. People are going to ask who she is. And then they're going to look it up and see it's Dr. Light. And like, wait, wasn't Dr. Light a guy on Teen Titans 30 minutes ago? Mm. I know how the guy thinks. I know he did that for a reason. In Thing With Trust. Yeah, I, I, I just hate the bat embargo because it's such a it's such a lame attempt to just stifle competition. It's, it's, it's such an apple move it's like if i picture sam register as a as a black turtleneck wearing skinny ass ass clown just like steve jobs i did like his motivational speech he did at a university who sam registers no steve jobs oh don't get me wrong i hate him so you uh so I know you do some Flash, but you have done traditional work before, right, Pablo? I've done mostly all kinds of animation. I even took a, a class with a Japanese teacher on traditional 16mm animation. Awesome. I have even drawn on film itself. Cool. So you could do, like, Roger Rabbit shit, then. Hmm. I, I know how to do the Roger Rabbit thing, too, but uh, with the current technology, not the one before. I even did a, a small, you know... Oh, the one with the little green guy? Yeah, he was yellow, actually. <laughs> Oh, sorry. It's very popular. I like the one where Rodimus shot you. Uh, yeah, that was the Gashapon Collector. Most people didn't get that one. He's actually standing next to me right now and pointing at me. <laughs> and next, to him is, next to him is 90s Superman fucking some Nefa Solin or something. I, I, I... <laughs> some meditation I have. See, I said something about Rodimus that got a lot of people upset a few weeks ago. I said, Optimus Prime is the father you always wanted. Rodimus Prime is the drunken stepfather you never needed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, it's more like, uh, he's more like, you know, the ankle uh, uh, after your family dies, the rogue ankle. And suddenly you're stuck with him. It's like, hey, kid, I never wanted to adopt you or anything, but, you know, so, uh, I don't know, let's go to Disneyland or something. <laughs> well, it's, I, more I, that. it's not like he wanted to be prime. He just had to. Well, I um, like I like how Neil, I like how Neil put it that, that he was the Anakin of uh, Transformers. Yeah, because uh, Prime came back to life. He came with Rodimus. He's like, Rodimus, I need the Matrix. And Rodimus is like, you brought him here to kill me! And then he like, transformed and zoomed off. <laughs> but he, he is kind of like that weird uncle, because you know, he transforms into a camper, and he's like, oh, let's go out into the woods, kids, and do weird things. <laughs> uh, Come on, Daniel. I love that. <laughs> well, not a lot of Rodimus love around here, huh? Yeah. I put a poll up on, uh, on DeviantArt like, what does Rodimus Prime transform into? And uh, overwhelmingly, people believe it's a Winnebago. I think it's a, I think it's a garbage truck. 
It could be a garbage it truck. It looks like Every- a garbage truck. <laughs> I just keep picturing a uh, wreck car hanging off the back of it. <laughs> As they're driving down the road picking up garbage. <laughs> uh, Pablo, you know, is it, it was a garbage truck? <laughs> well, I, I never really believed it was a truck, in fact. It was more like, it's the same car, only he got a trailer. Yeah, he's, he, got, he grew a tumor off of it. Uh, I, I like the redesigns some people did. They actually even made a, a trailer that combines with Rodimus in the same way that the original uh, trailer combined with Prime. Oh, uh, I realized after uh, our last discussion about Rodimus is that uh, on the original toy, the back of his truck actually does have a transformation. But you never actually want to use that because it, it just looks like it looks like Serpentor's air chariot. <laughs> and it just looks silly. <laughs> it's like Rodimus Prime should not be using this. <laughs> Cobra, la, 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 uh, And what a coincidence. <laughs> it's the same actor. Say it. <laughs> what, damn it? No, Cobra, la, 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 I'm not, not going to do that. <laughs> I just love how it's this ridiculous headdress he's wearing, and he's running around with grenades and stuff, and he looks like he's like a tribal with grenades and stuff, flying a fighter jet, shouting, Cobra, la, 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 la. It's like Every it's, time you say that, Buzz Dixon... <laughs> Kind of twitches angrily <laughs> because it, because he never wanted to be called Cobra Law. I know his pain. It's like you you say something is kind of like a suggestion, like sort of like eh, we're gonna do it sort of this way, but not actually we're not actually gonna use this word. And then somebody goes, "Well, let's use that. It's perfect." And you're like, "No, no." It's like stay out of my <laughs> stay out of my writing. Stop it. It's like someone suggesting a uh, movie to Nicholas Cage. He's like, "Okay, let's make it." Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nick Cage may have actually been in charge of Sunday. I need the money. <laughs> You're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I love that video. Tasteless asshole. <laughs> that was a great video. Indeed, it was. Thundercats. Oh, that's another cartoon where the opening animation is really hot, and then you get to the actual cartoon, and it's like. What the hell happened? <laughs> they had a couple of okay episodes. Yeah, yeah, it was certainly better than Gem. You, you do know they have uh, special directors called for the opening sequences from time to time? Like people who don't work at all in the show except for the cool sequences. Like Masami Obari, one of my favorite Japanese animators. He, he did many opening sequences for shows he never worked in. Yeah, that doesn't surprise us because it's... <laughs> Because we saw a lot of cartoons where the opening is actually done by TMS, but the actual cartoon itself was all Acom but no TMS at all. <laughs> that happens a lot. That's just a cruel joke. That's a travesty. <laughs> That's a tease. That's the word I would use. It's a tease, Neil. <laughs> it's, it, the thing is, I showed Neil the, the anime opening for X-Men, and he got pissed off because it's like, this is what it could have been. <laughs> Did you ever hear about the episode of G1 that is supposedly animated by TMS? Supposedly? Yeah, no, nobody really knows for sure, but there's this one episode called uh, Call to the Primitives, I think. Oh, the Call of the Primitives. And it, it doesn't look like any other episode. It, it looks so bizarre. I'm, I'm taking a look right now. Yeah. Call to the Primitives. Call of the Primitives. Yeah, oh, it's a season two episode. No, not season two. Se- it's-, it's season three. Season three? They were using yeah. Acom in season two. They 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 used Acom in two three episodes in season two. 
Yeah, but that's what I mean. You know, when you go start, when you first go to Acom, that means okay, we literally don't have money for TMS anymore. Oh, okay. And that's the thing that that baffles me. If they if they can go to Acom and then go to TMS, it's like TMS would charge what what basically two Toei episodes are. Yeah. And it's also the only episode in season three that has Ravage. Are you sure this isn't like Toei on a really good day? I don't think it's Toei at all, because it doesn't look like Toei. It looks pretty good, but Toei does have near-TMS results at times. Not all the time. Remember what I said about about Galvatron's... Uh, face. Uh, yeah, Galvatron's face. It, that's not a Toei face. And it's not it's not Acom. Nobody knows. Ex- nobody really knows what studio that is. Wow, it's, it's no. This this is not quite. This is not quite TMS. This is not quite TMS. But this is this is definitely better than Acom. This okay. is this is around Toei's level, though. I think it might be Sunrise. It could be Sunrise. Yeah, because it could be Sunrise. Yeah, it could be Sunrise because Sunrise has almost TMS results at times too. Hmm. Was Madhouse around back then? Because this looks very similar to Madhouse's style. I don't know. Pablo, is this was Madhouse around back then? Yeah, well, it was. It, it was founded in the seventies, so it could be. Mm. Yeah, this could be Madhouse. Okay. Because this the, something about this screen studio Madhouse to me. It could be. Wow, we we really are animation junkies. <laughs> Okay, I, I will give you 70-30 that this is Madhouse. Okay. The other 30 is... is This is very similar to the work that uh, <coughs> Sunrise does. And you, did I tell you what pissed me off is when people talk about Big O and say, Oh, Sunrise, they did most of Batman the Animated Series. I'm like, they only did six episodes. Yeah, I've heard that. Only six episodes. That's not most. That's not even half. That's not even one-fourth. And... uh Here's my commentary on the big O. <sighs> okay, let's start the show. Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. I am your host, Ben, and we're joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. Hey, paisanos! And we have a, a special guest, uh, Pablo Prino. Salutations. And tonight we're doing Animation 101. This is going to be an episode where we talk about the ins and outs of the industry itself. The techniques, how uh, technology changed, just a basic overview, explain some of the terminology that we use sometimes, explain what the different studios are and what they do, and basically just give like a little primer course to what animation is and the techniques evolved. Um, well, little little topic that came up on the, on the pre-show is uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the actual process. The actual process of animation is, as I understand it, you have uh, you have an artist that basically does storyboards first, and then he draws what are called keyframes. These keyframes then have someone who does the in betweens, you know, sometimes called the in betweener. You know, he he does the actual work of the animation where he draws, you know, he or they or a whole team draws all the frames in between these keyframes, and essentially that is the basic process of animation. And, of course, the, the more frames you have in between during a second, the more fluid the animation will be. That's, uh, of, course we're talking traditional, uh, of course, we're talking traditional 2D animation. Uh, computer have 
computer scanner, of course, helped turn a lot of corners there. And when it comes to 3D, well, it's uh, there are other techniques involved, but yes. Yes, of course. With the, the, the at least for the shows we usually discuss here in animation aficionados, that's that's the way to go. Yes, and uh, the higher the tween rate, the tweens are counted per second. The higher the tween weight, the better the show obviously would look. Uh, like uh, I, I will, uh, I have to disagree on that one. You know, it's not the amount of frames; it's how you use them. Yeah, but if you use only five, it's still it's gonna look like shit. <laughs> I can show you the best five. Well, you can use 120 that look like shit too. That's true. And okay, it's not it's not the. Okay, it's not the final. I'm I'm sorry. The, the the word we're looking for is the more twins, the more fluid the animation will be. Yes. Which, in my opinion, does not mean it's better. That's it. <laughs> okay, that's that's fine, but uh, I, I honestly, you know, I like I like at least twenty tweens a second. I think that's the I think that's a nice number, at, at, for a minimum. You know, some animation uses thirty, which is great because thirty I think is a very good number, especially twenty five to thirty is what the frame rate is for film. So you get something that's pleasing to the eye, where you don't see these horrible jump cuts. It's uh, because that's the thing. If you only use five frames a second, that's something the human eye can actually count. And if your eye can count it and you try to do like a big movement in five frames a second, it's going to look like a jump cut. And a jump cut is. Go ahead. Unless it's a very fast movement. It's like uh, from time to time, your eye can't count some, some things. So uh, it's okay not to see some stuff. Well, that's true. But, but if that, you if you that that's something that animators of the original Gundam series discovered while experimenting. That, for example, the funnels. I don't remember what they were called in the first series. Uh, they they moved so fast, and the directors in kept telling the animator that he had to put more in betweens, but he said no. This is what makes the speed. You don't actually get to see how he gets from point A to B. And, well, that's some of the technical aspects. Because animators usually, well, back in the time where they actually dared to experiment and study the movement itself, because animation is the illusion of movement, uh, they actually even studied film. Uh, motion captured on film, real motion, and they noticed the blurs, the jump cuts and stuff, all the things that actually happened Well, when you are breaking down real movement into 12 frames a second, 20 frames a second, 30 frames a second. And there are things that you actually miss that's more real than actually seeing it all the time. If you have, uh, like, for example, 30 frames for someone giving one step, you will probably think it's something like slow motion or that. And there's also uh, a big amount of place to mess up. You have 30 frames to mess up, and that's how you get in stop motion that's trying to be too fluid. You start to get uh, clothes from the figures that start like changing a lot. 
like as if it was uh, a windy weather or something. But that's just because we had to touch the model so much in order to get a movement and the clothes shift in every uh, frame they take. Well, that, that's uh, true. That's true. But uh, what you're talking about is basically where you where you use uh, where you use some of the elasticity of the animation to actually create the vision of movement in fewer frames. That that's not quite what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where you have something that's a very basic movement, but you don't use any of that. You just basically have just a very basic movement, but you do it in five frames. It's going to look like crap. Oh, well, not exactly. The, it will look like crap if you have those five frames sped like five frames a second uh, on, or worse in two seconds because from time to time those five frames a second actually make a difference. It depends on what frames those five frames are. That's there true. Are, there are very... There are some basic rules that many animators disagree on which is the... which are the main ones but it depends a lot... Uh, it's some sort of basic on what twins to use. Because you have, from, for example, a pendulum, or whatever it's called, I can't pronounce it, you know, something hanging from a rope that's yes. heavy. Yes. And moves from side to side. Uh, if you only use, for example, two frames, uh, you don't actually get the feeling of the curve that it makes, the arc it makes, when it moves from left to right. Uh, if you get if you have three uh, three twins, you get for example one extreme, the other extreme, you know the Lara all the way to left, all the way to right, and you add the first twin, with, which should actually be a keyframe usually, that's in the middle, that's the lowest point of the arc. Those three uh, do give you the notion of how it moves, but it's still not uh, good animation. You add two more, you get five, and you get, uh, if you, that's where, when it's hard. Because if you put the twin in the exact middle between the, the first and the second positions, and you don't put it a little way lower, like following the arc, and you just put it in the middle, just filling in the two positions, it will move like a triangle, a fluid triangle, but a triangle. That's not the right movement it should make. Right. It, that's something that happens a lot when people first get into animation. When they tell them, hey, put a twin in the middle of this, they just draw the what would be the, something of the, the average frame, uh, a, composite, a composite frame between those two frames that they have, the, those two keyframes. And that's how you know when you have a good twin in-betweener or a bad in-betweener because they need to know how the whole movement is, not just check those two frames and say, oh, yeah, it must go over here. Okay, that, I can understand that. It's, uh, but like I said, that's, that's where you sort of mess with the models a bit, and uh, I can understand that. It's just I, I hate... You know, saying okay, we need to cut some costs. Okay, let's lower the let's lower the tween rate. That's that's the one thing I hate the most. Oh uh, yeah, that's the first thing to go. That's why uh, they had to make some stuff. The the lowering the tween rate is something that happened. Well, the the guys who did the best were the Warner Brothers people when they did the how do you call the Looney Tunes. Uh, they knew they couldn't do full animation on the scales they had, 
or schedules, I don't remember what it is. Uh, so they they lowered the twin rate to 12 frames per second instead of the 24 frames per second. But they this also allowed them to use uh, a faster uh, frame rate for some movements. So they used many many frames were uh, shot twice, thus lowering the 24 frames to 12 frames. Uh, but from time to time, they did uh, use uh, one of the frames just once to make a speedier movement. Okay, okay, that that's cool. And uh, you know, like I said, Again, that's, that uh, means uh, people experimented on it and knew what they were doing, and uh, which sadly is not happening right now. Right. And uh, speaking of old animation traditions, there's another little tradition, little another little technique. Which some think is the ultimate form of cheating, others think is the ultimate way of learning. Neil knows the one I'm talking about. I'm sure Pablo does too. Would it be rotoscoping? Oh, yeah. Ah, rotoscoping, the early motion capture. Yeah, it's uh, basically what it is, is where you have an animator actually take film of someone moving a certain way, and then they, they draw the character over each frame of film to uh, to emulate human you know human real life movement in animation. With it has been used in various degrees with different results. Mixed results. Uh, Fleischer Studios used rotoscoping early on, and they had damn good results. Um, Disney did too. Disney's been using been using rotoscoping ever since uh, Snow White. Oh yeah, yeah, and they've always had good results and. Unfortunately, when you get up to filmation, then uh... well, not even we don't have to go up to filmation. We, we can talk about another certain uh, pompous director <laughs> who used something that can't even be called rotoscope. Yeah, because basically, what you're talking about, Ralph Bakshi, and what he what he did <laughs> is he would just take uh, he, he would just use high contrast uh, film. He would just he would blow them up to like uh, cells. And then he would just have the artist, you know, like paint horns on them or whatever, you know, make the eyes glow or something. And then he'd put he'd put that right back into animation, and that's how you got uh, you got all those weird shots and uh, the and, orcs, uh, yeah, and uh, the wizards. That's what I was trying to think of. Actually, it was in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well, Lord of the Rings is a completely other. <laughs> That's something else altogether. <laughs> was was there any animation Lord of the Rings? All I remember is just seeing lots and lots of high contrast people. Well, they did do a lot of unnecessary animation. It, I don't know if people are familiar with Lord of the Rings, but there was a scene in the book where Gandalf was talking to Frodo about the ring, and Samwise Gamgee is outside the in the window outside of the window tending a bush and he hears all this and, but in the in the, the Basque cartoon <laughs> they did what the actors actors have this thing called milking the cow acting where you're just constantly moving like you're milking a cow while you're acting and you're told not to do that when you're acting what, what Basque did was he actually did milking the cow animation where there's this whole conversation between Gandalf and Frodo where Frodo is like walking around everywhere he actually picks up a stone and throws it and he does all, all this other unnecessary movement stuff 
because Bastion's like, oh, we can't oh, have just talking true. heads. And it makes the conversation between between Gandalf and Samwise when they find them hiding in the bush all that much weirder because they're outside now when they find them. And it's like, what are you doing here outside where we are? Oh, I got some facts of something that might probably scare you for the rest of your lives. Uh, sorry about this, but it had to be done. Uh, have you heard of the... CDI games for Zelda. Oh, we all God. know about we all know about that. I could eat after rock. That that's a, a, a small example of how uh, a lot of keyframes and a lot of twins can mess up stuff a lot. Yeah, I it's... can't wait to bounce at the dongos. <laughs> yeah, but, I think getting back to what what Pablo was saying about uh, about not necessarily needing. 30 frames a second is that you can do you can do great animation by pacing yourself out because nobody no. nobody does 30 frames a second it's not especially, especially through, not no. all the way through yeah no oh, I, I got the best example here I remember a metaphor some I read somewhere in one of the animation books that said that uh, the art of animation is timing actually yeah. uh, you don't uh, deal just with drawings you are dealing with time itself. And it's the time, the rhythm, the tempo. It's all that part. All that is what makes a good animator. Uh, he can be a, a very shitty artist, but uh, he can be a great animator. For example, uh, music. You can have uh, uh, someone who plays music, uh, an instrument, and it's not the amount of notes he plays. It's playing them at the right time. And that's the same with animation. The keyframes, the in-betweens, everything has to go at the right time in order to get the best results. Exactly. Uh, but then again, you can't play a song ultra slow, one note at a time, one note a second, because, well, that usually doesn't work. Right. You need a bass compass or something. And that's the exact same thing that works with animation. I like that analogy. I like that analogy a lot, actually. But yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> but yeah... Overall, when you're doing action, when you are doing action, you know, an all-out brawl or a fight, more frames is usually better. Not always better, but usually better. You you want to, like, not look cheap doing that. That's something even ACOM does, because even in the crappy X-Men cartoon on Fox, they got the tween rate when the X-Men were actually in a fight versus them just talking, walking around, or beast running on the side of a wall. Uh, that's because that's what animators like. It's like... You, you get to draw action. It's not just the people standing there talking because otherwise you end up with the Lord of the Rings animations, throwing stones and milking cows. <laughs> well, milking the cow. Milking the when cows. it comes to that, actually, it's not so much uh, that they pump up the, the twin rate. It's also that the action itself is sped up. How many times have we seen the intro sequence to... Uh, to a cartoon with scenes that we have seen before, but somehow they're better. They're just going 24 frames a second instead of the usual trail they use for television. Back in the 80s, I would notice stuff like that. All of a sudden, there'd be this really silky smooth animation. I could never figure out what it was. It turned out that they sped up the footage, presumably because uh, the animation wasn't timed right. Uh, and it was usually ACOM shows that did that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you, you have another example when it comes to Japanese animation studios, the classical stock footage. Every time, uh, it's it, they're smart. They say, okay, we're going to see this a lot in the series. Let's at least 
at least let's make it look right. That's how we get those middle-long uh, Sailor Moon transformations. Mm. Uh, that's how we get the full attack modes and stuff like that, that they get this display sequence with a neutral background that they can use anytime, anywhere. Um, they are usually very sped up. They look like full animation because they're they're actually amping up. They're, they're doing it 24 frames per second because it's like, okay, you're going to sit here for a minute watching this. We got to fill space. Let's make it right. Let's make it count. And that's the same technique that they use to save to uh, save time filming new things for Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. All the time. Uh, and by the way, as a kid, I also noticed something was wrong back when I was a kid because the suits, and they weren't made of the same material in the United States as in Japan. So the Japanese footage looked shiny and also grayer. I think there's no sun at all in Japan. Every time I, I saw Japanese footage from Power Rangers, it was always cloudy. However, you switch back to the United States footage, all shiny and lycra. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually the same. It's actually the same suits. They actually shipped the suits over. No, they they didn't at first. Well, later they, on they did. They, later on, yes, they started using the same. They shipped it. Uh, mostly the monsters were shipped. Actually, some of the monster suits were damaged and couldn't be used properly. <laughs> <laughs> and just as a side, uh, Power Rangers Remastered is the most hilarious thing I ever saw. Aside from the sound effects and... Uh, well, no, that, that's the best part. That's the most hilarious part. It's these bad Photoshop effects with, like, this comic book-style sound effects and stuff. It's the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. It, ah! it makes the show yeah, amazing. Sorry. I think I upset Pablo. No, no, it's, it's not you. Don't worry. It's just... Okay, but uh, back to animation. <laughs> sorry. Uh, should we talk about uh, limited animation? Oh. Very limitedly. I'm talking about like the Yogi Bear stuff, but they would just have, uh, whenever Yogi would be walking, Yogi would actually be stationary, but the background would move, and his ha- his arms would swing on a separate uh, cell, and maybe his mouth would be moving, but that would be it. Yeah, that was, uh, that was that was that's an, what limited animation is. Well, that was that was the a technique they did was to lower the cost so they could do multiple yeah. shows at once. Like that way, they could do the uh, Tom and Jerry Grape Ape show, uh, the uh, the, well, the that was much later. The the Mumbly show and uh, the Tom and Jerry show, and they all had unique oh. theme songs. Oh, you're making that joke, yeah? <laughs> because they don't ever reuse anything at Hanna Barbera. Well, uh, I gotta say something in favor of the limited animation that they used at Hanna-Barbera back then. Uh, they had great character designers. That's uh, true. The designs had appeal, so they could stand just by not moving. It's like uh, like when you stare at a painting. They're not moving, but they're interesting enough to stare. They have interesting silhouettes, uh, colors. They had a great color control. They didn't just use the classic MS Paint palette to well, color everything like they're doing right now, but they well, had that's... great that's true, and I think they followed. I think they followed uh, one of the great tenements of making a great character design, something that actually applies to superheroes more than just regular animation characters. But I think it applies very well here. Is you can tell what who most Hanna Barbera characters are by looking at their silhouette. You just yeah, know yeah. who it is, except if it's if it's Mumbly or Mudley, that that gets a little gray there. But 
But well, there's Pixie and Dixie as well. Yeah. Well, actually, isn't Dixie small, smaller than Pixie? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, one of them's shorter than the other one. But, uh, but yeah, they they do know how to make these character designs where just by the silhouette you can tell it's a different character. But uh, I think the saddest thing is the most original character they created was uh, the character who actually was Dino Mutt and Blue Falcon. The most original mm-hmm. character in the whole showcase. Because the voice isn't based on a real actor? Is that maybe why? Well, and also because it's like the superhero show, and it's it's sort of like a pastiche of Batman at first, but not really. It's like it's sort of, but not really. It's it's almost like it's almost like Batman with Inspector Gadget, but not really. It's it 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 was not it was not like anything else before. So it's oh, hard to compare. I never thought about that, but yeah, that was before Inspector Gadget, and yet it was doing the, it was doing the Inspector Gadget thing. Yeah, it was so unique and original. And what was it canceled for again, Neil? Laugh Olympics. The most crossover crossover show that ever crossed over Hannah's desk. Yeah. Wow. And the reason why I say specifically that it was canceled for uh, Laugh Olympics is because back then they used to have all these shows stitched together. They had like they had like the Pac-Man, Little Rascals, uh, Richie Rich show. And it was called the Little Rascals, Ben. They I know I know your thing about It was our called Our Gang when the show I know, was originally I know I, I know but but because of certain copyright or trademark things involving that, they had to call it Little Rascals for that show. But anyway, they ha- they would have these uh, these anthology shows where it was just a whole bunch of shows stuck together. And this one was Scooby-Doo and Dynamut together in one show. And then the following season, they switched out Dynamut for Laugh Olympics. And Dynamut was actually in the Laugh Olympics, but it was obviously not the same. No. And uh, like I said, it was... Uh... You know, Hanna Barbera did a brave thing by saying we're, we're going to compromise a little bit, and they still were able to keep the Hanna Barbera esqueness with what they were doing. So that's the biggest thing. You have to learn how to compromise, and these compromises led to new innovations in the industry. Uh, for instance, Disney, Disney for a ten-year period, uh, were using to speed up in-between times. They were using the prototypes for what are now known as Xerox machines. And that's why, you know, when you look at uh, uh, The Fox and the Hound, uh, 101 Dalmatians, and there's another movie during this period that has this sort of rough, Basil sketchy the great stuff. Mouse detective. What? Basil the Great Mouse Detective. Yes, yeah. they all have this sort of sketchy style around the characters that's, that, you know, is a little obvious. But it still has a great Disney animation, but it's just this period has that look. And I noticed that as a kid, I never knew why until I read the history and I read that they were using this new technology to speed up in between times, and I'm like, oh, that's what it is. And I really loved that style. Oh. I, I wish they they had some way of bringing that back. Well, they have that oh. machine in the back somewhere. Well, <laughs> actually, Fire it up again. Uh, actually, they the those machines are gone. Oh, they they uh, were well, most were discarded, dis- dismantled, and uh, or just. We're in, we're in need of heavy service, so uh, they're gone. Sorry, they they tried to to bring back this old stuff when they did the uh, Princess and the Frog, but uh, they didn't. So they had to go with digital again from start. But uh, right now, with you can just use a scanner and 
and do the exact same thing, and you can get the same feel. My yeah, first animations were done like that. You know, yeah, the reason why they... That's and the reason why that they had to do this was because they had to cut costs. In fact, after Sleeping Beauty uh, was considered a uh, box office bomb, they had to cut they had to cut four hundred people off the staff, and that's why they resorted to the uh, prototype Xerox machine to do this. And Sadly, I believe uh, those women, uh, those were the the inkers they had back then were women. It was an all women team. Yeah. But like I said, I think what that did was it did create a look that was very signature Disney for a decade. You saw that and you knew, I'm watching something from Disney from that period. I knew that was Disney. And I'm sure everyone in the room can agree about that. That When you saw that, you knew that was Disney. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, like I said, technology has helped animation. Also, the limitations of, you know, limited animation, uh doing different things with cell animation that all helped animation overall because it shows what corners you can cut what things you don't have to necessarily redraw over and over again what things you can keep static mm-hmm. but in the wrong hands obviously this is bad I mean I think Hamburg Barger got to the point where they're like okay what can we limit without having to look like we're doing and I know this is going to come off as a, as a slight to Rocky and Bullwinkle but it's not but what can we do without looking like Rocky and Bullwinkle yeah it's a uh, most of people uh, have gone through that process, but some have, however, taken the wrong cues after that. It stopped being about, okay, how can we deliver something that's great uh, when we don't have the time or the money? And it became, how can we not waste time or money yet do something that gives us money? And that's how you get the the current uh, Bruce team. Uh, uh, how do bastard offspring? I mean, uh, we call them timitations. The timitations. <laughs> oh, that's how you get the timitations. Like, okay, uh, now I don't need artists that have to that much control over detail and stuff. All we have to do is like, okay, draw this, and that's how you get some ugly, ugly, fucking ugly in betweens in shows that try to use the Bruce Team uh, style. Timitators. The timitators. Uh, where one there's just one character that the only thing that does is move his head from left to right and it deforms horribly in the middle because the Bruce Tim art style is has so it's so clean has so few lines that you gotta have them in the right place just the same way with the in betweens and well that's the sad thing the the worst part is now we have flash animation, but I, I don't mean like I love flash animation as working with flash to make animation, but I just hate the the whole paper cut uh, TV series they're feeding people these days. Well, uh, I agree, and uh, I think I think personally I would I would make it a a a job standard, a job requirement even. For anyone who wants to do flash animation for television, they have to do 500 hours of real animation first. Oh, that would be great, but however, we know it's not happening. I know, but you know that's why Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, which is all flash animation, looks fantastic because Craig McCracken worked on it, and he yeah. logged so many hours doing real animation. Oh, oh, by the way, big recommendation. I I saw after years of recommendation by a friend of mine, 
uh, I finally got to see uh, Symbionic Titan. And the animation is so incredible. That first episode, I, 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 I never got to see some cell shaded uh, worked in a way that actually looks like animation, that like 2D animation that works in a TV standard way. Well, it's, I it's, might have to I might have to give that a look then. It's uh, it's, it's incredible. I, I I seriously mean it. It it felt so epic. It's it it had feature uh, feature standards, feature movie standards by now. It's okay. I, I I'm terribly amazed. I gotta find you a sample of that. Okay, and uh, you know, talking about technology. Uh, well, Ben, uh, should we talk about what uh, what Craig McCracken's wife is working on these days? What is she working on these days? <laughs> My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. <laughs> the weirdest thing is, I have never seen an episode of the show, but it's 30-year-old men who love this show. I know, it's so I weird. It, but everybody's talking about it. Why, what is it? 30-year-old men love this show. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it talks to people's inner pedophile or something. I don't know. I saw I saw like maybe five minutes of it. I'm like, wow, I cannot watch this, but I know this is going to be a hit. It's it's oh. when you see it, you'll know you'll know immediately that people are gonna love this, but you know that you you can't respect yourself if you keep it on. <laughs> well, the one thing the one thing for me is talking about flash animation technology is I can spot the tween tool a mile away. The flash tween tool being used, I can spot it. I see it. I'm like, that's a flash. Well, tween I got tool. a similar thing with cell shaded 3D animation. It's like it's obviously being used. Well, like let, let me put it this way: I was on a forum, uh, and someone showed me like the uh, the animated pilot update for Wacky Races. It's a... all done in Flash, and it looks like shit. Uh, and and people are like, "Oh, this is such a shame. This isn't made." I'm like, "Why? It looks like shit." I can understand why this wasn't made. And they're like, "How can you say that? You can't prove them." I'm like, yes, I can. You can see right here the tween tool is used, and it looks so bad. And I'm like, "Well, how can you know that?" I'm like, "Because I can spot the Flash tween tool." And then they say, "Well, what about this?" I'm like, "You can see the cars driving. The car is like a three fourths view, but it comes straight at the camera, so it looks like it's." Drifting, but it's not because you can tell that's what the, not what the animator wanted to do. It's an it, insult. It's an insult to the original series. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's <laughs> heck, terrible. Heck, it's it's even an insult to Penel- to the perils of Penelope Pitstop, which was a terrible cartoon. It's it's a, it's. Oh, I love that cartoon. I believe I'm a DIG fan because of her. Either that or Bad Girl. Stop, stop the pigeon. Huh? <laughs> Penelope Pitstop. Yeah. But well, I just love it because it has Paul Lind in it, and he's great. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, that's a. I just remember looking at. It, I'm like, you can't see why this is shit. Because I I can understand good Flash animation. I love good Flash animation. The Venture Brothers pilot is all done in Flash, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, you can make great things with Flash animation. I, I, if you I, if you treat always... it like you're a real animator, it will look great. If you treat it yeah. like the tween tool is your savior and lord, it's going to look like shit. Yeah, that's why I hated Flash animation and, until I was forced to work in an e-learning company where they used Flash. So uh, then, thank God, uh, a co-worker of mine had been studying animation in a, a cool place. I think it was BS or something. And he he came along and started actually animating with Flash. And he was like, you can actually animate in Flash? And he's like, yeah, 
Yeah, you throw the tween tool. You draw. Yeah, throw like, the tween tool away. Yeah, I was like, holy, I didn't know this. And then, well, it was the greatest kick in the ass I could ever get because it it propel, propelled me forward thanks to Flash that way. I, yeah. I started studying Flash in a whole different light. I, I thought it was just, you know, tween tools and stuff. But yeah, no. that, that's the most disgusting and, thing for me is people see the tween tool like, oh, this will save me so many times, so much time because it will actually draw the in-betweens for me. I'm like, it doesn't. It stretches and deforms stuff. Yeah. And actually, the, the ability to, to actually really animate in Flash had always been there because you know you know who was the first person to actually animate in Flash? Who? It was it was John K. <laughs> yeah. I can believe I yes. can believe it. Just, yeah. And back then that he tried to actually make animation in yeah. Flash. He he's, he's done that. a lot of Flash work. And yeah, I, I bet it all looks good because I bet he doesn't use that that tween tool once. Yep. Exactly. Well, he might use a tiny bit of it to for some squash and stretch, and stretch here and there, but uh, other than that, uh, no, he doesn't. Yeah, it's uh, and like I said, that's the biggest mistake I see because I watch total drama bullshit, and that uses the tween tool like crazy, and I can spot it. I'm like, this is terrible, because all it is is all the characters are always facing the same direction, and this is that's the thing that people that people don't understand. People. People criticize Scooby-Doo for being very limited. I'm like, did you actually watch the first season of Scooby-Doo? They use different perspective shots all the time. The, the image you have of them always being a side view, always running, that's not what it really is. And I, w- I actually wouldn't just say the first season. I'd say like pretty much all seasons of Scooby-Doo are better than Flash any day of the week. Yeah, because all Flash is, is always the same side view with the, with the talking heads and stuff. And it's like, you know, you could... Uh, or it could be either that or go animate. Both of them are the same league of shit. <laughs> go animate looks so bad. It looks like it looks like someone someone stumbled upon Seth MacFarlane's secret. <laughs> it almost does. It looks it, the art style is so Seth MacFarlane out of the box. I bet there's a button that says conversate, and you actually have the two characters talking. You have one character's eyes halfway open, halfway open, open halfway open, wide, narrow, halfway open again. I bet there's a button called conversation in Go Animate that does that. Probably a button called called cutaway gag. <laughs> hey, this is a random one. You think that's bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but speaking of other tools that come with technology that keep on going into traditional animation, there's one other tool. CG. Oh. And uh, everyone's favorite. Yeah, I know people that uh, I know people that are like, "Oh, CG's not that bad in animation." I'm like, "It was bad when it first started." There was actually an anime that was actually animated by a top-notch studio that had the CG sequence with a helicopter that looks like shit. I mean, this, this I think it was actually done by TMS or Sunrise. This anime, I forgot which anime movie it is. You, you one of you two might be able to help me. You know the one, right? Would it be? Uh, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. It's uh, the professional GoGo Thirteen. Yeah, because I showed that to you. Yeah. Because I have it, I love that. I love that movie, except for that scene. It, it's it, it's not even when you actually like cut away and you actually do CG just to do CG. It's when you try to mix them together, like the Fox Spider Man series did. What were oh, they yeah. thinking? And I'm pretty sure it's at a lower resolution than the rest of the movie because you look at it and you can almost see the the pixels. The sh- yeah, the pixels. It's such a shitty resolution. <laughs> it's like, hello, we're in a PlayStation One opening uh, FMB for some reason. 
<laughs> you mean Sega Saturn? It doesn't look PlayStation One good. No, PlayStation One was pretty bad. <laughs> well, uh, I actually love the Soul Calibur, or actually Soul Edge, CGI intro we had in PlayStation yeah. One. They never did some uh, school last year. But yeah, it's uh, that was just amazingly bad, and uh, you know, Batman the Animated Series had one episode where they used CG in the episode. It was uh, done by TMS. It was over the edge, and it was near seamless. Oh yeah, they did for the boats, right? For the boats, yes, and it was near seamless. I mean, they matched the color palette. They matched and they matched the flatness of the traditional animation. It was so close to matching. It was amazing. But yeah, it's the CG in traditional animation is really hard to do. Even the Japanese are guilty of doing it badly. So oh, I'm not yeah. just picking. I'm not just picking on the Americans here because no, no, because there's also good and bad CGI mixing, and I believe the worst CGI mixing I've seen so far is the Speed Racer Next Generation. What about what about the uh, what about the uh, what about the Dragonlance movie? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Remember what that. About- yeah, well... What um, about Transformers Energon? Oh, God, no. The, the, no, the, Transformers Energon had... It, 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 had it had these really block... They didn't even match the same color design. They didn't even match the same color models as the, as the traditional animation. Yeah. Well, the, the CG in that in that cartoon was just terrible. And that's yeah, what I, I mean. It's the, it, it, was, it was worse than Beast Wars. You know why it's been done? Uh, I actually talked to a Japanese animator who came to give a, a speech here in Uruguay. Um, and she confessed to me that the reason why they're using so much CGI lately, mostly in, in mecha series, is because they don't have enough talented people who can actually draw mechs the right way. That's a shame. Uh, much, much less move it, because it's actually cheaper to just sit down and draw it and make it work and to actually have to make the CGI model, have it uh, animated, matched, then all the scenes fused together with traditional animation and then have it work. Uh, so that's sadly the main reason. Well, they can always, they can always send it to, uh, they can always send it to uh, Korea where they have lots of good gas animators there. Uh, I don't know if, there is, if that's still the case. You know, Japanese, Japan was the place where we used to send the the Max series to be animated. Uh, right now, well, that's what's happening. Uh, you know what I believe? I believe this is all fault of HD uh, TV and animation. Because now they have to actually try harder, and that's why I think the animators from Gundam 00 and monopolized all the Mech animators they had because they had to draw every single last cog and bolt of the mechs. Mm. I mean, if you see any opening of the Gundam 00 series, you realize it's it's all hand-drawn and very animated. Okay, well... Well, this I, seems like a pretty as good a, a, a segue as any to uh, maybe talk about uh, overseas animation uh, farming that, out to other studios. That, that's true, but I had one more point before that, and it'll be a very quick uh, one. It's an, another... another recent technological advancement that some people are against and this is actually one I'm all for because there's no way you can really mess this up is uh, digital color in animation I mm. actually talk to people like oh it still should be hand colored I'm like 
you're stupid, you're crazy, <laughs> shut up. Because I'm like, out of all the things that are being done just, wrong now, that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, all they need to have is a good art director that says this will be your color palette, work with this, and don't get sucked in by the flashy MS paint colors. Because that's what happens most of the time. At least at first, when things were being colored digitally, it's like people didn't know of any other colors than those high-pitched, saturated colors. And that's why we get this uh, late 90s, early 2000s clean, shiny, plastic animation, mostly in Japanese animation. Well, that's true, but a good example of where it's done right is uh, Justice League was all done in digital color, while all the previous Bruce Timm series were all traditionally colored. And yeah. you could tell it matches the same color palette. In the whole Bruce Tim, you know, DCAU, it's all the same color palette. That's mm -hmm. what you get when you have a, a good, strong art direction that's trying to make the show work. That's something that I hope gets better in the new Voltron show. That's clearly 10 steps up, up over the Speed Racer Next Generation series, but that still can't handle the thickness of the lines, for example. From time to time, you get to see a very thick line and other times a very thin line, and it doesn't work. It's like you're trying to paste pieces of different shows together. But the same works with color. You need to know what color it is and not get sucked in by the saturated, happy digital colors. That's true. And, uh, and going into overseas animation, a lot of American cartoons, you know, the 80s and before were still animated in America. It's uh, lots of animation studios and lots of companies were shifting to overseas. Japan! Because it's just cheaper. Because save for one. Save for one that, sat, that died because the head of the studio refused to <laughs> move with the times. And so the times moved him, as one would say. And yeah. I'll let Neil tell that story. Oh, it was um, Lou Scheimer of, of Filmation. He was, he was, it's kind of a, it's almost a sad story because he was the last uh, studio head that was hiring animators in America to do animation for television. And once, once Filmation was gone, that whole tradition went with it. But he was also kind of a fuddy-duddy and he just, he didn't see the writing on the walls that you couldn't really do that anymore. You know, he's kind of uh Almost kind of like the uh, the yin to to John K's yang. He he uh, tried to cling to the old style, and it just wasn't going to work. So uh, filmation is gone, and that's why it's gone. Yeah, and like I said, everybody you know everybody else knew what was happening, and they knew they had to at least find a way to keep their look, even with the new animators. It's uh. Because the hardest thing you can do is go to go somewhere overseas where your style was never used before and say, oh, I can get the exact same results. Because whenever you say that, 99% of the time, <laughs> you're going to be wrong. It's as, uh, as both Gene Deitch found out and, uh, and of course, uh, the guy who founded ACOM found out. You can't promise the same results if you, you know, re really can't teach the team what, you, what you're expecting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gene Deitch, they, they went to Czechoslovakia to make Tom and Jerry cartoons, promising results similar to what MGM was doing. And he kept Tom and Jerry going, I'll give him that, but same results, uh, 
I'll, I'll let you watch YouTube yourself, and I'm just gonna say no. But... He had to he had to teach those animators how to uh, how to animate in that style because they'd never done that before, and I, I think it's actually better than I, it's definitely better than Acom. You know, I I really don't know what the deal was with Acom that it just it was just so bad for so long and why it's still around. I don't. Well, I know why it's still around is because of the Simpsons. Yeah, but the the thing is, uh, like you know, Japan was where all the animation was at in the in the 80s and the 90s because you know you had TMS, which is considered the cream of the crop. You have uh, you have uh, Madhouse, you have uh, all these great studios. You have Toei in Japan, and then you know, starting around in the late 80s, early 90s, you had some of these Jap- these Korean studios pop up. Like uh, Acom was founded at least uh, partially by Marvel Productions, and uh, you also have a Don Yang and a DR movie, not Doctor movie, but DR movie. I apologize for that oversight. <laughs> well, I had to point that out because uh, uh, when that studio was founded, it was it was under a different name, and it was the original name was like something something DR. The the DR was never meant to be Doctor. <laughs> okay, well, I don't I don't know what it stands for, but it was. I'll- I'll I'll ask a I'll ask a friend of the family that lives over there and find out. But uh, overall, it's uh, you know these studios early on did not get good results, and it took uh, it took a lot of uh, finesse to get good results. It's uh, Don Yang did the bull share of Batman the Animated Series, and Don Yang did a lot of the really good episodes because what turned out was uh, Bruce Tim actually told TMS to teach Don Yang what to do. (laughs) <laughs> and it worked and DR movie today gives near TMS results when in the 90s they were doing stuff like the Street Fighter cartoon so so really the, ba- the bad Street Fighter cartoon the one that was on USA not the not the anime movie yeah Bison Which also wasn't very good but for a different reason it had the shower yeah. scene yeah, I had the shower scene, but the the story was still stupid. Yeah, had the shower scene. That was worth the price of admission. Okay. Yep. It's, but uh, yeah, it's uh, basically all these studios have this look, and you know, the guys and I earlier were looking at some episodes of Transformers, and it's it's, it's so amazing how we were watching this one where the studio was unknown, and we're like, we were, we were like talking about how. Hmm. You know, this has a little bit of a sunrisey look here, but this could be this could be Madhouse because I see a little Madhouse here too. It was Call of the Primitives, by the way. Yeah. And you know that that's the thing. It's uh, I mean, we, we've been watching animation so long. It's we're getting to the point where it could actually be like someone who sniffs a nice glass of wine and be like, "Hmm. <laughs> the the grapes from the northern slope." <laughs> I I, I think I can taste a bit of Korean. Yeah, there's there's a tiny bit of Korean here in the Indians. Or if it's or if it's Acom, it's like Snapple. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Snapple. It's well, yeah. It's <laughs> you're gonna give me a second. Oh my god. But yeah, it's uh, the thing is that most animation studios have these little ticks, and 
you know, you can you can tell what a TMS tick is versus a DR movie tick. Even though DR movie, I mean, it's amazing how good DR movies gotten in a decade. I mean, Neil, you saw that, right? Oh yeah, it's it's frightening how good DR movie got. Well, Acom, what what's is Acom just like sleeping at the wheel? <laughs> um, well, there there's a saying that goes: if it's not broken, then don't fix it. And I guess that as long as they get paid for not being that good, there's no need for them to try harder. That's true. <laughs> That's why they can underbid everybody else because the results are like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> but they're not really the go-to uh, studio anymore. I mean, what other than The Simpsons, what are they doing nowadays? I don't know, but uh, I would actually... I would actually prefer Cartoon Network if they went to Acom over Flash <laughs> Animation. <laughs> I, would be, I would be like, okay, I would actually watch you if you actually went to Acom. Acom's total drama. Yeah, at least it like as with the as with Family Guy, that when you have nice. in those in those early episodes of Family Guy when you had the shitty animation, at least that shitty animation had character. And that's another thing we have to talk about is character designs and, and how they work in animation is. Uh, Number one, don't be too complex like the X-Men and Spider-Man were. Number two is the animators have to be able to be a little elastic with the designs. To, yeah. Because the best way to get an expression in animation is to warp the face just a little bit. I'm not saying like make his make him look all like you know all stretched out, but if you if you're able to warp the face, you can get such a wide array of emotions out of a character. Mm-hmm. As an animator, I gotta say that curves work better when it comes to making fluid expressions and fluid movement. Uh, it's harder to get uh, the, the fluid uh, animation when you are using more angular designs. That's, that's true. Why it's so hard to make work in the Bruce team style uh, against something that's more like, I don't know, the Super Mario Brothers cartoon. Well, if you look, if you look at the world's finest, the uh, Superman-Batman uh, crossover movie in the Bruce Tim style, there is a scene where Lex Luthor grabs the Joker and is shouting at him, and he is actually off-model because he is drawn so angry that the animators really stretched his face to make him look that angry. But it was such an expressive look that it worked. And that's what I'm talking about. Because Bruce Tim trusted the animators to do that, and if he didn't like it, he would have kicked it back. Yeah. Because <laughs> he did kick something else back from that movie. <laughs> so, but one thing that he actually admits about the designs for when he did the updated designs for the Batman characters was the one thing he admitted was he really wished he actually put red lips on that version of Joker, but someone was the blame for that. <laughs> <laughs> because Bruce Tim's like, hmm, this needs red lips because then it would really be the Joker. And then this guy, um, this Murakami kid, is like, no, 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 simpler is better, simpler is better. And Bruce Tim's like, are you sure? I, I think this is going to be a mistake. And Murakami's like, no, no, no. Simpler's better. Simpler's better. And <laughs> and Bruce Tim's like, this is a mistake. After he, on the commentaries, he actually says it's a mistake. <laughs> and he blames Murakami for it. Um, well, he got the lips back eventually. Yeah, he did when he did the designs for Justice League. Yeah. But Maybe yeah. He only lent him some lipstick. Yeah, I just, haven't lost it. I I just love I just love how candid he is about that because 
Bruce Tim does understand what to do with the designs to get the right result from the studios. And that's the problem with Timidators, too. They think they see this angular design and they see stills to this angular design. I'm like, okay, if we do this for animation, this will be like as kick ass as Bruce Tim, but they don't understand what it means to be an animator like he does. Exactly. And, and like I said, if you watch that scene from World's Finest, you will see this scene where Lex Luthor is so angry, it's like he's almost off model, but it works so good in animation. And that's why, you know, with an animation, you need to you need to balance elasticity with plasticity. You yeah. know, um, there's something that uh, John Kay said that's that character designs should be done uh, by animators because they understand the demands and what makes the characters work uh, instead of just getting designers that come around and say, yeah, this will be good. And that's uh, something that happened with uh, Sleeping Beauty. The Sleeping Beauty character designs were worked great on paper, but didn't translate well to animation when it came to the Disney style of animation. Well, let's be honest. Sleeping Beauty had the most badass prince out of all the Disney princes. <laughs> Agreed. He showed up to slay the dragon and get the girl, and that's all he did. He should be played by Bruce Campbell. I mean, he, none of this bullshit singing and uh, and discovering yourself and all that. No, he showed up to slay the dragon and get the girl. But he was also one of the least developed princes. <laughs> well, what the what develop does it does he need other than that? <laughs> yeah, I, because if you develop a Disney prince, guess what? He becomes an emo git. I know. Well, you, maybe, you want to be maybe... like Squall. You, oh, you God. gotta you gotta give some tips to to Little Mermaid's prince. He impaled a giant octopus woman with a boat. He had <laughs> run out of swords. <laughs> so you're saying that the end of The Little Mermaid is exactly like the end of Jaws for the Revenge? Actually, it's <laughs> just like the end of Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> so wait, is that is that uh, two princes now who have uh, killed the uh, the big boss at the end? That is actually two. Every t- other time, the bad guy kills himself in a Disney movie. Wow. Yeah. Every other time, it's a, the bad guy kills themselves either through their own stupidity or... They usually sleep. So you girls out there who love The, who love, uh, the Little Mermaid, you, you can tell people now that it's officially a badass Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, yeah, isn't it isn't it weird that the two that the two most badass princes are from the two movies that that are cater most to females? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty sad because, for example, Entangled, he the he's not even yeah. a prince; he's a thief. Yeah, that's right. And uh, something about Entangled, just like in Tarzan, makes you think someone at Disney has this. Has a foot fetish. Foot fetish, yeah. We have talked about it. <laughs> and do you know what confirms it? That the trailer and the movie actually feature different scenes for the same parts, uh, but they keep the feet in both of them. <laughs> it's like, okay, we can change this whole scene, but we leave the feet. <laughs> There's someone that does like, like you, you, oh. want, you want the thief wearing a tutu? Okay, but make him... Wear no shoes. <laughs> no socks, no shoes whatsoever. That's how we roll Disney style. 
that's what I picture. But uh, getting back to it, it's uh, a great point by John K about that. It's uh, you know John K love him or hate him, but uh, he does make a lot of good points about technical issues with the industry mm-hmm. most that's of the time. Right. Uh, the thing with John K is he's very passionate about animation. He loves animation, so he hates it when it's not done right, or from his point of view. That's true, and uh, speaking of not done right, uh, there's a certain studio in the 90s uh, that uh, does not do things right, unless someone really reels them in. Kennedy. Kennedy. Mm, what shows did they do? They did Tiny Toons. They put the boingy, boingy, boingy in Tiny Toons. Yeah, they did. Uh, they also did Darkwing Duck, and I think I think Disney kind of slapped them around a little because they stopped doing that <laughs> in Darkwing Duck. But they're they're, I think they're most visible in a pup named Scooby Doo. Oh God, because uh, their their style is boing. in that cartoon from beginning to end. Their, their style is character models. What are character models? And lots of dancing. No, yeah. I. <laughs> For you know no what, reason. Yeah, you know what I just recalled now that you mentioned Darkwing Duck, the TV animation studios that uh, that did, uh, you know, most they ha- Disney had a TV animation studio, a studio animation Disney or whatever. Uh, they, if you wanted twins, that was the way to go. I mean, they they probably animated it maybe at twelve, but. They were very fluid. They never stopped moving. They almost never used still frames. That was pretty amazing. Well, at least they had something moving while something was in the still frame. And that was pretty amazing. I remember watching it. It's high-quality animation. Gummyverse is like what Lord of the Rings for TV should have been. It <laughs> it felt epic. It was awesome. It was in character, in model. Uh, I know John K. hates the that model. The bears and all of that, but I I actually liked it uh, a lot. Wasn't Darkwing Duck done par- not Darkwing Duck, but wasn't Ducktales done partially overseas? Uh, I think part of it was, but I know they had a, a, a studio back in the United States, which is the same studio that did the the feature film for Ducktales. That was the first feature film done by a television studio. Okay, and it was pretty amazing. It did have one of the first CGI sequences I remember with the plane. Okay, I'm just I just remember that that uh, part of it was done overseas, not all of it, but part of it was. And uh, a little point in history was in the early uh, the the early aughts, uh, the early 2000s. Their big news was made when Disney fired their traditional animation studio. Oh yeah, and then they all went together and they formed their own studio called Legacy. <laughs> and then a few years later, Disney hired them back for one movie, <sighs> which I still have not seen yet, and I know that's very bad of me. I'd be really curious to hear your opinion on that because it's 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 a good movie, but it's not not really what I was expecting, and not. Uh, I think it I, was very underwhelming for everyone who was excited about the animation. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, Disney's bringing back traditional animation again. Oh my god, this is going to be good. It's like, what, what's your, what was your reaction? Was it like, okay, the animation's good, but story's kind of bleh? Was that your reaction, Pablo? Well, uh, I I sit there and it was like, I didn't see, except for, you know, two or three scenes, I didn't get to see as much as I wanted. It was very, uh, I don't know, most, 
for example, how to say this? I I get stuck with toads for most of the movie with frogs. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't expecting that for example, and it's not the, the usual animation you expect from a Disney movie, from a Disney feature, because they don't move the same way that uh, the anthropomorphical animals uh, are always done in Disney. For example, in Cinderella, you have ma- mice there, uh, yet they move like humans. They're designed to act and move like humans, while in this movie, the, the frogs are frogs that try to move like humans, and it's I know it's. I, I just couldn't. They were all mushy and fluffy and floaty and. Well, I think I think part of the thing was subconsciously they were thinking, okay, we can't make these two human-like frogs, or else Warner Brothers is going to be on their ass. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, baby. No. Oh, but, uh, I, I don't know. It 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 had more. Uh, or or the, the Warner Brothers frog was had a lot more charm and. And how that do you was, say personality was, than than the frogs in that movie, which is sad. Well, you're uh, talking you know, about that, Chuck Jones, though. That's that's like. Yeah, no, the, I know, but it's just that. Uh, imagine Jack Jones with a Disney team of animators working for him, making a frog movie. That would have been great to watch, interesting to watch. But I I can already picture of the whole. The, the movie kind of suffered from trying to be fluid, uh, yet not having enough. Punch. The animation didn't have enough punch. You know something that Disney does? Disney makes teams to work on different characters. You have like four, uh, a, a team of ten people working on one character. Like, for example, the crocodile, the elephant, the girl. They have separate teams of people who only animate that character. And that's why from time to time, characters don't seem to move the same way in Disney movies. With good art direction, that doesn't pop up that much. But in this movie, it's like everything's the same. Bleh. I don't know. I like the some characters. I love the animation for, uh, well, the bad guys especially and all that. But I don't know. It's like that style. I like the style that the movie had. I liked it for Lilo and Stitch. I, I, I liked the way Lilo and Stitch moved because that was it. But seeing that kind of same, it's like, let's do... This, let's do it like Lilo and Stitch, but it's not the the character designs that should work that way. I mean, I don't know. When it, the movie was meh, and the animation was, I don't know, was good, but it didn't strike me as anything that was worth doing like that. I mean, if if Entangled was done uh, the, with the same animation style, uh, I would have watched. Uh, Tangled in 2D, because I I can agree there. It's a, it's a. But the the thing is with the, you know talking talking about that kind of animation style with the, just teams working on different characters and only those characters that the, that sort of limits it because you know eventually you are going to have this sort of jarring complex. And by the way, I could already picture the conversation Chuck Jones would have with the Disney animators. <laughs> really? Yeah. It'd be, like, it'd be like, okay, you're not doing this expressive enough. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? This guy's supposed to be really excited, and you're just sort of like just making his eyes a little big. What are you doing? You know, stretch the whole face. Yeah, Chuck Jones was the guy who did who uh, did the How, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and he did the smile when uh, 
the Grinch got the idea and the smile just kept going and going. <laughs> yeah. It was great. But another well, thing about uh, about uh, The Princess and the Frog was it felt like they stepped back to about 1995 and they yeah. didn't it didn't feel like they really innovated at all. It was like it was like okay, let's let's do this like like this was 15 years ago and Let's you know that you know the big stupid alligator and all dogs go to heaven. Let's do that right, and that's like the only thing they did. <laughs> well, it, to, to me, it's it's sort of sad that before the studio was fired, the first time, th- their big hurrah was what was it? Home on the range. <sighs> <laughs> that was sad for me. That was uh, sad. I'm not fond of that movie. It didn't interest me at all. However. The animation there packed more punch. I know, but that was sad that that was their big hurrah. It wasn't some big fairy tale. It wasn't some some awesome awesome storybook. It was something that they like wrote on a napkin. Yeah, about well, you know, cows. Disney, you you know that Disney won't make any more fairy tales. They said that Tangle would be the last fairy tale, and that's it. That oh. from now on they were going to do something else entirely. And also, Lilo and Stitch, the actual movie was animated beautifully, but the thing was, telling uh, telling uh, an overseas studio to animate a Lilo and Stitch style, the Lilo right. and Stitch cartoon that was on TV looked like ass. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what I said. I had a similar thing like that. You know what What movie I think worked kind of well with that? I know the, the character designs weren't appropriate for it, but... The movie as a whole, I did like. This one, I liked the story more than the animation. Uh, was uh, Treasure Planet, the which was basically Treasure, Treasure Island in space. Uh, I liked it. I liked the world they tried to create there. And they actually did a really cool style there, and everything was very expressive. I would, I will definitely agree yep. that everything was so expressive in that that it was amazing. And. Uh, Lots of great voice acting casting there too. It's just kind of sad that, you know, like I said, that Home on the Range was the last hurrah for the first time. And yeah. It was. It, it felt like the prince, uh, you know, the Frog Princess was like the uh, like the apology of okay, here's a fairy tale one that they can really go out on. <laughs> but you know, uh, I wish you'd be given another chance. Don Bluth, because he went out on a bad one too. What was it? The 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 penguin, Titan A. Titan A wasn't terrible. Uh, I I will only defend it to a point. No, because it was it, it was just average. It was. Yeah. I, I did like it, but I, I believe the the CGI was forced uh, onto him. I agree because I think, because I think he's the kind of guy that would see it and would say this looks like ass, and like we don't care. CG is in, and you know part of the thing is. Still, it did work quite well. I mean, it did tell the story. And yeah. you know, the biggest thing is with CG animation is I understand it had to actually be put out there for it to advance to the point where it's passable today. I understand that. I really do truly understand that. But at the same time, all the stuff that they put out there to get to this point was ass. Mm-hmm. And people yeah. defend it. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't have to watch that crap anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, those are all tech demos. Yeah. Put them away. Let's watch the good stuff. Exactly. And Beast Wars, put it away. 
Well, you want to put that away for a completely different reason, Neil. Yeah, that's not in continuity. <laughs> uh, I think Beast Wars wasn't as bad when it came to continuity. No, no, what, what pisses Neil off is when people say that Beast Wars is better than G1. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe they stand uh, eye to eye. That's what I believe, that's all. Well, I think there's more than meets the eye. Say it three more times and you get the first Transformers movie. <laughs> it was only said twice. Three times. Twice. Three times. You know why? Because Sam repeats it to himself. God damn it. <laughs> that doesn't... He, he, says, he says it to Michaela and then he goes, Ah, oh, got more than meets the eye. What an ass. <laughs> and then Optimus says it. Okay. Three times. Okay, fine. Three times. <laughs> oh, but the, the line that really pisses me off about that in that movie is that uh, there there was a contest before that movie came out where you got to enter in a line that Optimus Prime is going to say. And do you know which line won? Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. The line that's on the back of the fucking box on every Optimus Prime toy. Whoever sent that in is an ass and needs to be slaughtered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, at least we did get that one shall stand, one shall fall. And the fall, fall ones. Whoever picked that as the winning as the winning phrase needs to be shot. <laughs> I believe that if I close my eyes and I just heard that part of the movie, the movie would have been great. I, like I just opened the eyes for the parts where Megan Fox is arcing her back, and then for the rest of the movie, I just close my eyes and listen to Peter Cullen, and that's the best movie of Transformers ever. Give me your face. No, that's a sequel, and I, I think know. It's basically, it's Mortal Kombat with robots. Uh, it's like, okay, we did a pussy out of Optimus in the first movie. Let's make it up on this one, making him a psychotic bastard. <laughs> I love how Neil loves that line. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. No, give me your face! <laughs> Hello, little bird. Give me your face. <laughs> <laughs> but back to, back to the animation, it's... Uh, you know, Korean animators are doing top-notch stuff right now, and it was basically because they were forced to because, uh, you know, like I said, people in America were looking for animation to be cheaply done, and you could either do it right like Bruce Tim did where he said to TMS, okay, teach these guys how to do it, or you could do it wrong like uh, Marvel and be like, yeah, let's just keep on like these guys are toys and close our eyes. <laughs> Okay, you guys are new. You're going to be doing the five-part opening of season three. Go. <laughs> oh, this looks terrible. La, la, la. I can't hear you. <laughs> and I know Mike Blanchard's listening to this. Tell you what. We'll sit down, we'll watch it, and every time the wrong character appears in the wrong scene, I'm going to punch you in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> and every every time an Autobot has the wrong head. Yeah. or Or, like, the wrong insignia on his chest, or... You know, every time Bruticus is seen standing next to the to the Combaticons, bam, <laughs> in the arm. <laughs> oh, God, that is, that is such a terrible episode. Would you almost want to ask Mike Blanchard to, for him to give you his face? Uh, uh. But another thing is, uh, that's very important, I think, at least in current animation, is where the voice acting is done before the animation. 
I think that's very important. I know lots of p- people that don't do that. Actually, the only big cartoon I can think of that doesn't do that is the Boondocks, and it looks like a fucking sock puppet. Well, in Japan, they're mostly like, let's do animation first, and let's do the, the voices afterwards. But every time someone does the, the voice acting first and then does the animation, it, uh, it always becomes more lively. It's, it's great. I mean, yeah. have you seen, uh, uh, if, have, if you ever seen the Gold Digger movie from Fred Perry, where he did everything, uh, you can see the, that in the third movie, he already had all the dialogues recorded. So he worked on that and even put some of the quirks that the voice actors had and it's incredible because the faces they they're like you know live that's it yeah i agree i think it's best to do any voice recording before you do any animation that way you can actually have the animation match the voice recording and it would add this whole new level of you know of uh life to this animation it would actually make it look great i mean this is how avatar the last airbender was done and that's why you know these when these really tense scenes are done with dialogue the dialogue comes off as that much stronger because you can actually see these characters really emoting with what they're talking about yeah because it's also it's the the actor trying to put the voice into the character and he's not being restricted by what he's seeing and so he powers the thing. I, I, I had a, a, to make an animation for Legendary Frog. He was making a, a Resident Evil tri- tribute video. And he got the voices for me while I was working in the middle of the animation. And when I got the voices, it was like, this is so much better than I could have ever animated. So I went back and redid many of the, of the facial expressions because the, the acting was hilarious. It was like, I can't leave out this quirk, this moment of you know just the actor going crazy and stuff like i gotta show this i can't do this with just the same character standing saying this the same thing with the same face exactly and that's that's the biggest strength in doing that and like i said i watched the boondocks and it has none of that it's just basically lips flapping and it's not matching any of the words and it looks so stale i mean that's one of the thousands and thousands of reasons the boondocks sucks but that's the one big one that always catches me whenever i just watch it and I know people that love that show. I'm like, don't you see the lip flap? Like, it's terrible. It's just a, it's a generic lip flap. It's not even, you know, forming words. It's like, flap, 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 flap. I mean, Hanna-Barbera has better lip movement than that. It's a, what's the, uh, here's a question for you. Uh, what's the worst animation cheat you've ever seen? Animation cheat. 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 Someone cheating in animation. Oh. Oh. Cheating in animation. Yeah. Wow. The worst one. Well, I gotta say, it's a Transformers movie. Is it the part where the Matrix rejected the... No, no, no. I gotta go with the real movie. <laughs> the act- the recent movie. Oh, you know, the not first the good one. one. I-, I think it's it's that because uh, you're paying to see a movie that's called Transformers. It's supposed to have Transformers in it. And you start seeing all this great transformation sequence and you say and so this fight will be awesome i'm gonna see an actual giant road fighting and suddenly the camera pans to uh, shia leboeuf just reacting to it and then cuts back to the transformers that are like was that good for you too thank uh, you pablo or, talking about the Bumblebee the versus... sequel, in the sequel when optimus prime transforms and it's like no we can make this look right 
Okay, throw a parachute over the transformation sequence. I call that a cheat. A giant cheat. <laughs> because it, we're not talking about, okay, we're going to make this cartoon week to week on a daily basis. And we don't have enough. No, no, we're talking Michael Bay with Steven Spielberg saying, okay, you know what? We can do this look right. Let's put a parachute all over it. <laughs> I think that's mine. Okay. I'll tell you the worst one that I've ever seen. It's basically everything Filmation ever did. Because what they did was they they did the rotoscoping, but what they would do is that they would just use the same two actors, one male, one female. I'm 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 guessing this because it seems to be like the same the same body type for every single character. Yeah. But anyway, they had like maybe twenty minutes of footage and they would just use that for everything. Like you'd see You'd see Prince Adam run by, and then you'd see Man at Arms running by, and then Skeletor would run by, and you notice it's the same animation for all three of them. <laughs> oh, interesting tip. Did you know that Disney did copy himself and use stock animation the same way Filmation did? Really? There are some uh, sequences. For example, uh, the one I remember right now was uh, in Robin Hood, the bear, uh, John. Yeah. Dancing with a uh, hen. That was actually the same animation as Baloo dancing with Louis the, the ape. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and by the, the way, did you did you know they that had like two or three scenes that were redone that way? The the guy who originally voiced King Louis, it was actually a jazz singer, Louis. Uh, what's the last name? Oh, I don't remember. Basically, uh, basically, what happened was when they made Tailspin, they didn't ask. He, obviously he was dead by then so they couldn't use him so they asked this voice actor to do an imitation of his voice and it was so spot on that the widow of the jazz singer sued Disney for bitch. using the lightness of her her dead husband's voice see that's just bullshit because it's Jim Cummings voice he can do whatever the hell he wants with it He was, oh, you, can't, you can't make your voice sound like someone else I'm going to sue you it bitch. was so close though shut up it was so close though it was so close I, to Louis Prima. I mean, it was, yeah. it was frighteningly close. I mean, but you're right. Jim Cummings being a vocal god, that's not his fault. Yeah, I, I don't care how close it is. If it's his voice, he can, he can do that. If, 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 he has the, if he has the ability, he should be allowed to do it. You know, you can't copyright a voice. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, entire... Uh, casts of characters would be gone if that was possible. Yogi Bear would be gone. Uh, yeah. Fred Flintstone would be gone. Yeah. You, they would never get off the ground because they were already based on other other characters. Yeah. The whole <laughs> Hanna-Barbera library would be gone in a day. But it, talk about the talk about one cheat I've noticed was uh, this is more of a technical cheat, but <laughs> Avengers United they stand. There was a sequence with an ejection from a helicopter in three frames. And yes, he did say helicopter ejection seat. In three frames. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that because when Neil and I were watching it, Neil was like, was that, did he eject in three frames? Yeah, that's from the lost episode of Animation Aficionados, <laughs> which no one will ever hear. <laughs> three frame ejection seat. It's so fast it goes to three frames. <laughs> it, was, it was craptacularly special. But yeah, we're using animation. It's a, uh, you know, the Japanese do that to themselves all the time. I mean, there's a sequence where uh, from the Cowboy Bebop movie, where spot where uh, 
where Spike is fighting some guy. So many other different animes use that. Like, I know about three different animes that use that scene. Naruto. That did it, too. I, I was, there was another one, too, though. Yeah, old Nar- Naruto is one of the most notorious for ripping off that scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, actually, segments of uh, the uh, the Great Mouse Detective were, were used in the uh, castle of... Uh, Cagliostro. Yes. The, the whole clock tower thing, yeah. Wasn't aware of that one. Oh yeah, that that was a famous one, Pablo. I'm so surprised you didn't know about that one. I'm, I'm more used to when they reuse, uh, you know, the, the other way around, you know, uh, Disney ripping Japan, not Japan ripping Disney. Well, yeah, it's like Simba. it's like it's like, I mean, Simba. Well, it's sort of like that movie where that girl goes to Atlantis. Uh, what was it called, Nadia? Yeah, Secret of the Blue Water. <laughs> The funniest thing is, uh, Neil and I know some people who argue that if a crossover is even discussed or even planned, that means there's a connection continuity. And uh, what you might not know is the that Atlantis movie is in Gargoyles canon, if you use that argument. At least it's not in, in an autistic kid's brain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how many times have we used that one? Right it's, it's officially a running gag. <laughs> but but yeah, it's uh no that that really happened, and you, you know it's not even someone on the Atlantis you know on the Atlantis team doing it. It was Greg that did it. Greg Weissman did that to himself. Why, Greg? Well, let's not forget that uh, Lilo and Stitch is also uh, also takes place in the Recess universe, <laughs> or vice versa. God damn it, I hate when they start doing that. <laughs> but uh, another another example is, like like uh, like uh, Pablo said, you shouldn't have a comic artist with no understanding of animation doing animation designs. You want a good reference for that? Jeff Matsuda. <laughs> I don't like Jeff Matsuda's art, and I don't think it's suited for animation. Because he tries so hard to do this different look, it sucks. He draws fingertips as these horrible squish things that make people look like geckos. <laughs> he draws faces fucking concave. So is he officially to blame for the for that finger design? Because I hate that finger design. It's, he is. It's in a lot of stuff. He is. It's horrible, isn't it? It is. I mean, Pablo, do you disagree with me? I want to know. No, I, I do like the style, but I don't think it's for animation, other than for the than the fact that it's it doesn't have any much uh, uh, it doesn't have that many details. I mean, it, it's not suited for uh, uh, something that's trying to be realistic at all. I mean, you ca- you can make animation with it, but it, more experimental, something that well, you can, can, you can make a you can make a, you can make alcohol out of anything, but that doesn't mean you should. No, what I mean is. <laughs> Uh, I did. I do like some of these designs when I see them on paper. Some of them I don't. But it's uh, it's interesting how he got to some solutions there. Uh, I don't think he's, for example, uh, a victim of the Timitators. He's not a Timitator exactly, but uh, for no. example, it's just someone thinks like this. He he drew comics and he he's good at storytelling, but someone wants went and said, 
oh, let's make something entirely different. You, strange Asian guy, come here, draw some pictures. Oh, Pablo, I'm putting a link. <laughs> I showed this link to our guests a couple weeks ago, but I think you'll enjoy this too. Uh, this <laughs> is from the, the thankfully aborted uh, designs that, that Mitsuda submitted for Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, I remember this. And uh, it. yeah, it's. I just had to point out that no, it, oh, it's very expressive. It's yeah. If you don't mind like having a, a brain pan shaped like <laughs> an inside-out cone, yeah, it's very expressive. <laughs> well, something you had to say about Jeff Matsuda is that at least he's constant when it comes to these things. Well, yeah, you know, but at the there, same there time, there are many artists you can find here and there that uh, they just don't make it work. It's like from time to time you're you're seeing this super realistic detailed face and then they look to the side and suddenly they're well, they're concave. But since they're wearing masks or something like that, they don't care. It's uh, like, it's... Over the years Spidey's nose has been disappearing. It has reappeared recently, but for a long time his nose was nowhere to be found. And the same happened with Spawn. And however, they took off the mask. There it was. It's yeah, like, but that doesn't mean you like cave in their guys, face. To think that you guys complained about the, that dog ranger that used a flat face. <laughs> you should take a look at the mirror first. Oh come on, that was funny. Yeah, we all know it. Yeah. And I know people that bitch about oh the the Japanese the Japanese. Uh, Amantronic head was so much better than that Muppet thing in America had for Shadow uh, Ranger. That's entirely... No, that's... <laughs> uh, you know something else I remembered about, uh, you know, uh, noses and stuff? I, I'm getting tired of, of reading manga that's... Uh, okay, I'm not reading it right now, but seeing covers for manga these days that have no nose. It's like, okay, we can... Let's keep the nose. We don't need that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a habit. That's, yeah, uh, that's that, habit. that needs to be stopped. Yeah, I like noses in my in my manga and anime. It's a uh, it 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 bugs me. It's uh, people it don't me. think this, but the nose is expressive. Yeah, yeah, lot. I I can't live without nostrils. I can't live without noses. Well, what I dislike is some some like a like a Kishimoto of Naruto. What he's been doing lately is just adding two dots. Like, okay, that's a nose. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you have a team of like six people. Can't you like do a little bit more? I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, the thing is this. I think Naruto sucks ass, but the thing that bothers me is this. It's like, it's almost like he's a Seth MacFarlane of Mangaka because the the first 30 chapters of Naruto are like, have a lot of little technical incorrect things in them, but it's so goddamn expressive. And you look at late, the latest chapters and it's so fucking sterile. Hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot. I, I mean, just look at his manga, and it's like that, and you and you want to almost grab the guy and check him, like, what the fuck happened? Well, at least he did learn to draw before he became successful. Not like the author of Saint Seiya. The, he got too famous too fast, and he never actually got to draw something that's not flat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible what the Japanese character designer Jingo Araki did with his character designs. I mean, I, I couldn't believe someone could actually make a turnaround with one of them. Wow. Good ideas. 
and uh, on our Tiffany Grant episode, we did learn what the process of dubbing was. There's, you know, there's interpretation versus translation. Yeah, mm-hmm. that goes. That's very important localization, and you know, of course, they have to, you know, matching lip flapple is not that important as much as just making sure they speak when the same time the mouth is open. Yeah, and you know, this is all stuff that's done post with uh, localization, which we will go further into in our localization episode later on. But there's other techniques that we, that uh, that are very important with animation uh, and terminologies. Uh, you know, like like we said, the technology has changed rapidly in the last couple of years but you know some sometimes the best technology was the ones that existed back in the 40s and the people who say that animation is just now getting better i point you to the stuff that fleischer and disney bid back in the 40s the technology has always existed to do good animation it just required a lot of manpower that was the thing the technology to make animation good was always there it's was probably manpower and time, and the biggest thing was all this time of shitty animation or experimental animation was just figuring out what pieces of new technology could they use to supplement or replace manpower or time. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Exactly. Right now, it's the best place to be, the best moment to be alive and making or receiving animation, so it's a great great pity that we can't have better animation than the one we have these days. I mean, you can you can have just one guy sit in front of a computer and actually make a whole movie with nothing, with no, no real uh, budget other, other than the, the time spent on it, and of course the software. If it's... That's, that's true. It's, uh, that's how we get good animators on Flash, like uh, Harry Partridge. You know, exactly. uh, Eco Raptor, and even this uh, Pablo Piano guy I've been hearing about. <laughs> Thanks. We try. <laughs> but uh, you know, like I said, it's just it's just the question of what technology to use this in what when you should leave the technology alone until it matures. Because as Neil said, a lot of the CG stuff were actually glorified tech demos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I think we're sort of wrapping up, guys. Don't you agree? Unless there's any other points in Animation 101 for our listeners? Not really. Okay. Excellent. Uh, tune in next week. Uh, what we got on the shoot, Neil? Um, Revenge of the Sexy Girls? Yeah, I think we're finally going to get that one uh, going. And uh, um, Yeah, it's a special it, episode that I think we really didn't talk about Sexy Girls too much. So I think we're actually going to call that one The Comic Connoisseurs. Yeah. Yeah, you'll notice I don't talk too much in that episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a the comic connoisseurs. There might be this might be a spin-off, except I sort of uh blew most of my top off on about what pisses me off about comics in just that one episode. I can't continually be perpetually angry or else it'll come off as perpetually fake and infantile. There I said it. <laughs> and so uh so uh I am your host, Ben. TV's Mr. Neil. I'm Pablo Prino. And we will see you next time. Good night. Bye.